There is a story about Frank Lloyd Wright, the architect of the famous Falling Water House, that he designed it on a piece of paper in just two hours. You see, Kaufman, the wealthy patron who had commissioned the project, called up Wright announcing that he'd be paying a surprise visit to his studio to view the plans. Wright had nothing yet on paper, so he rushed to draw Falling Water in the time it took the wealthy patron to drive there. And the validity of this story isn't that important as much. What matters here is how the client received the design. He did not debate or go through a million reiterations. He just trusted the artist to deliver. Wright essentially told his client, here is what I designed. You can have this, otherwise I have many other clients I can be creating magical work for. So what do you say? Shall we do this? This is the kind of great clients we need. On one hand, there are the clients who want you to do the standard, the safe. Their expectations have been normalized by the average mainstream market so much that they cannot even perceive any possibility to achieve anything beyond the average. On the other hand, there are great clients, the ones who challenge you to do better work. They talk about you and your work, and they're willing to pay what you ask from them so that you can keep going and doing what you do. They are proud they hired you, and they trust you enough to allow you the benefit to disagree with them, to say, you hired me for a reason, now you need to trust me. This is one of the greatest privileges we have as freelancers. We can choose who we want to work with. When a freelancer needs to grow, they only have one option available. They cannot hire more people, they cannot make more time, and hence they cannot get more clients. But they can get better clients. Each client of mine is as much of an investment to me as I am to them. And the question I ask myself before I take a new client is, is this client looking for greatness or are they looking for the safe thing? Here is what I mean by the safe thing. And this is a very important thing to understand in the discussion. Marketeers often say that when people are paying someone a premium for their services, they are essentially paying a premium for safety, the peace of mind that comes with a sense of predictability. This is both true and misleading at the same time. It's true if you see yourself as an artisan, but it's misleading if you choose to see yourself as an artist. This is a very nuanced distinction, but one we need to make. An artisan creates piece after piece with focus on technique. They create through a repeated process. A masonry artisan, someone who creates tiles, a carpenter. An artist, however, creates each piece with focus on communication. Each art piece has a message that it wants to communicate. So the distinction is one of intention. A craftsman creates an object for the sake of the object itself. An artist creates for the sake of self-expression, of connection, to tell a story. In this sense, artisans thrive 
on the predictability of being able to deliver the same thing every time. When my wife and I commissioned an artisan tile maker from Crete to create handmade tiles for our sunroom, we paid a premium for the love of the object they would infuse in each tile. Yet each tile, though handmade and hence different and unique, and perhaps beautifully flowed in that sense, it was still predictable, unsurprising. It was exactly what we had in mind. But here is the thing about artists. When you commission art, you are paying for the unexpected that comes with the personal expression of the artist. It is beyond what you, as a client, ever had in mind. So what does the unexpected mean? Here is a good way to think about it. If you are able to know what your clients want 10 seconds before they do, this is the definition of good taste. Those 10 seconds account for the unexpected surprise you are giving your client. They account for the unpredictable. Now, that's what they are willing to pay premium for. They are paying for good taste. Your consistent ability to create something unpredictably beautiful. So, when people cross the street to come to you, instead of staying on their side of the road where it's safer and easier, when they are paying that premium, they are doing it not because they want your flowers, your photographs, your hair and makeup artistry. They are doing it because they want your unique ability to surprise them with your good taste. What we need in order to grow as freelancers is having clients who can say, I'm trusting you to guide me through a landscape you know better than me. So, even when I express my ideas, I expect you to say no, because you know better. Surprise me with your good taste. Because here is the thing, you as an artist have a telescope that sees far beyond what the client can. Take the iPad. The iPad was a wonderful demonstration of good taste. It's a product that no one knew they would ever need until it came out. When Apple came up with the iPad, causing the ridicule of Microsoft's then-CEO Steve Ballmer, they were creating a third category that never existed before, something between the mobile and the laptop. But Apple possessed that telescope to recognize what the user required 10 seconds before they did. And that is great taste. Contrast this to Microsoft's reaction. I think there will exist a general purpose device that does everything you want, because I don't think the whole world's going to be able to afford five devices per person we, in the bubble of Terranea. Oh boy, how wrong he was. You see, art is not supposed to be bound within the safe constraints of a recipe. It's not exactly safe. It has to have an element of surprise. So what clients pay premium for is for the artist, not for the object. And commissioning an artist is like a trustful. You, whatever your specialization is, want to be an artist, not a craftsman. And all this explains why some vendors tend to attract more untrusting clients than others. You know, the kind of clients who tend to be controlling. They are untrusting because exactly they want to remove every element of surprise from the process. 
Before we place the fault on the client alone, however, we need to wonder what attracted the specific clients in the first place. A reason these clients are untrusting is because they have come to know a vendor as simply the safe choice, the one who can do an event just well enough. They have come to see the vendor as an artisan, in the best case scenario, but not as an artist. So you see, at the end, it starts from us. Are we showing work that surprises? Work that is unexpected? Work that demonstrates good taste? And remember, good taste does not mean replicating the current vogue, but showing work that the client does not yet know they need. In other words, simply making sure that our portfolio contains the standard fine art shots, etc. That's great if your clients are looking for safety, but spicing up your portfolio with work that is unpredictably surprising is an invitation to clients who will pay a premium for the unexpected. They will pay a premium for art. This is why very few chefs we admire follow the recipe. Because they say, hey, if you want to have a tartiflette, I know this little restaurant at the corner who will make it just like your grandmother did. But if you want to see my interpretation of a tartiflette, come to me. Because here is the thing, when you come to my restaurant, you're not paying for the tartiflette, you're paying for my artistry, for my vision. Now let's address another question I often get. Is a better client someone who is willing to pay you more? Yes and no. Because you might end up selling yourself too short if the transaction means selling out your career to the highest bidder. The very beauty of being a freelancer is the freedom it affords you in choosing your ideal client, the one who gives you a platform that enables both the client and the artist to achieve greatness. Equally true, high payments don't always come in the form of money. As an example, is having a celebrity client who will give you vast exposure your ideal client? Maybe, or maybe not. Are they enabling you to create something extraordinary or something average? And even worse, something average that will be seen by far too many people as well. Is all the exposure you will be getting a good enough reason to accept and deliver and dumped down version of your vision? Do not allow yourself to be placed in the wrong box for more money. Your ideal client allows you to grow. And at the same time, your ideal client is one who understands that they come to you so you can enable them to get extraordinary results. The relationship between you and your ideal client is one of pushing the envelope a bit out of your and even their comfort zone. Otherwise, you're simply replicating the recipe. So, at this point, we need to forget the idea that great photographers, great florists, great planners get great clients. This is not exactly true. It is, in fact, the other way around. None of the people we see and admire would be known to us today had it not been for the extraordinary clients they have had. How much time do you invest in getting better clients versus pleasing the ones you already have? Because here is the thing, Frank Lloyd Wright could have come and said, 
hey, here is what I designed, but if you don't like it, we can change it to be more like you imagined. And here is what could have happened next. The client would have smoothed the edges, creating a dumbed down version of the design, because here is the reality. The client does not know any better. And if they came to you for the wrong reasons, for example, just because you possess some skill set or some equipment, but not for your creative vision, then you've made yourself into a commodity. All this means that you need to pick clients not because they are celebrities or getting married at a specific venue or are paying more, but because they want the same things that you want. They want you to enable them to achieve more. A great way to grow by quality rather than quantity is to adopt this mindset that you would have to fire an old client in order to get a new one or being very picky about who we choose to work with in the first place. And a great way of doing this is setting a limit on how many commissions you are willing to take in a year. For me, this number is 15. If I have reached my quota and a couple comes and asks for a specific wedding date, then even if I'm available on that specific date, I will not accept the commission. This keeps me on my toes of being extremely selective about who I work with. And so, let's go back to the chicken and the egg problem. Are you a great artist because you have great clients? Or do you get great clients because you are a great artist? And the answer is surprisingly simple. You need great clients who will give you the platform to achieve greatness, but you will not get those clients if you cannot demonstrate the potential of being great in the first place. And luckily for us, there are plenty of opportunities to demonstrate the potential of achieving greatness even without having a single client. As the great Seth Godin says, the tricky part is establishing yourself as the type of freelancer that better clients seek out. And while it is true that better clients make you a better freelancer, the task is much too crucial to wait for them to arrive. Here is a great example. What my dear friends Andre and Sofia of Branco Prada call creative exercises is a very effective way to demonstrate greatness without being constrained by a limiting brief. They will come up with a creative exercise that demonstrates all the elements of good taste and without having necessarily any specific client commissioning the project, they will imagine and create something that is totally unconstrained something that is absolutely surprising. I am linking to some of their amazing projects in the show notes. As for me, I personally call this type of projects by a different name. I call them personal projects. But here is what these projects are not. These are not styled shoots, not in the standard sense of the term. Because if most styled shoots are meant to help you simulate wedding portfolio, as in showcasing a wedding at XY venue or this country, etc. What they usually fail to achieve is demonstrate that element of surprise. And before this comes across as discrediting the value of styled shoots, I need to emphasize that, yes, we need to be able to demonstrate weddings in Italy, France, etc. in the way styled shoots can. Most especially, we need the kind of styled shoots that connect a brand to renowned vendors and remarkable venues. But do not stay there. 
create the surprising work as well. Show us what you stand for with personal work that feels intimately connected to your personal voice. And show us your good taste. Your ability to know what your clients need 10 seconds before they do.